This morning's reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 and finishing at verse 13, and it can be found on page 1093 in the Pew Bibles. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Am I on? I am on. Thank you. My name is Graham. I'm married to Jan, uh, the Associate Minister here at St. Paul's. Have you ever wondered how a small group of uneducated men in an insignificant part of the world managed to turn the world upside down? There's no doubt that Jesus himself was an attractive and charismatic figure. Thousands of people traveled to hear him. He was eloquent, controversial, compassionate, unpredictable, dynamic. He was a natural leader. And he caused quite a stir. And the religious and political leaders felt threatened by Jesus and were convinced that if only they could kill him, the movement that he'd started would soon fade away. After all, There had been countless examples, both before and since, of charismatic leaders wanting to change the world, but then they're killed or die, and nothing comes of it. But this time it was different. Jesus knew that he was going to be killed, and he'd put his faith in this small group of men and women who would turn the world upside down. Today, Christianity is the largest religious group in the world. There are 2.3 billion believers, which represents a third of the global population. But none of this would have happened without the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost really was the birthday of the church. So happy birthday, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for sending your Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost. 
And as we gather before you this morning, pour out your Spirit on us today that we may hear what you want to say to us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start with the first two verses of our reading. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Some people have compared this to like being in the middle of a tropical storm with this violent wind, the sound of a violent wind coming from heaven. And I want to use the metaphor of the perfect storm throughout this sermon. The phrase, the perfect storm, was first used in a meteorological sense uh, in Texas in a news report in 1936, where several factors were involved in a chain of circumstances that led to severe flooding. So typically in, a, in the perfect storm, you have warm air coming from a low pressure system, coming from one direction. You have a flow of cool air generated from a high pressure system coming from another direction. And where the two meet, often it produces uh, rain or a storm. But if into that you then add the, the tropical moisture of a hurricane, that's when you have the conditions that create the perfect storm. Bringing them all together at the same time, often with devastating results. More recently, the phrase has been used in other contexts, nothing to do with weather, where separate circumstances have come together with devastating results. And the, the day of Pentecost was the perfect storm but with a twist. As we will see, God brought together three separate circumstances which together turned the world upside down. And it was devastating for the enemies of Jesus. But the twist is that it brought about the birth of the church, which is good news for us. So what were these three things that Jesus brought together? Well, the first is mentioned in verse 5. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. We Christians talk about the day of Pentecost as if it was a single event, which for us it was. But for God-fearing Jews, it was a long-established annual festival. As you know, Jews worshipped in synagogues in their local towns, but three times a year, devout Jews would travel to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. You might remember the story when Jesus was 12 years old, of he and his family and others in their hometown traveling from Nazareth to Jerusalem. A journey of 90 miles, which probably would have taken them four or five days. And devout Jews would have made that journey three times a year. But as we shall see, people traveled much further than 90 miles. Some of them traveled hundreds of miles. And the verses that Kate read to us tell us some of the places that they came from. Here you can see them on this map 
was a probably a bit too small for you to actually see the places, but at least you can see the area which we are talking about. There were Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, which is just off the map in the top left-hand corner, Cretans and Arabs. And they'd all come to Jerusalem for the Jewish festival of Pentecost. Now the Hebrew name actually means the festival of weeks. But in, in Greek, it was called Pentecost because it took place 50 days after the other great festival of Passover. Both festivals marking important uh, events from the Old Testament. Passover was the celebration of salvation, where people remembered how God had rescued their ancestors from slavery in Egypt and brought them to the Promised Land, the Exodus as we now call it. And Pentecost, 50 days later, was a celebration of the birth of their nation when God gave Moses the Old Testament on Mount Sinai and God made a covenant with his people. And can you see how God now transforms both of those, those Old Testament events? First by sending Jesus and then by sending the Holy Spirit. So first, God sends Jesus who dies at, at Passover. And so at the very time when Jews are remembering how God had rescued their ancestors from slavery in Egypt, Jesus is dying on a cross so that the world can be rescued from the slavery of sin. And then 50 days later, God sends the Holy Spirit. And so at the very time when the Jews are remembering the birth of their nation, God creates the perfect storm which resulted in the birth of the church. And in order to create the perfect storm, first of all, God brings to Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Next, God brings to Jerusalem this motley band of disciples. On their own, they're the most unlikely group of world changers. But they're not on their own. For a start, Jesus himself has been preparing them for this day. Just as he spent three years preparing the disciples for his death and resurrection, now he prepares them for the day of Pentecost. But he hasn't got three years. This time he's only got 50 days to prepare them for, this, for their vital role in this perfect storm. Now despite his earlier preparation, his death and resurrection had really shaken up the disciples. They were left with doubts. At first they couldn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. All of them couldn't believe at first. After a week, most of the disciples did believe, but Thomas was still left with doubts. They were afraid, hiding behind locked doors. They were filled with guilt, having deserted Jesus at his hour of greatest need. But over a period of weeks, 
Jesus meets with them. He eats with them. He sends them to Galilee. He brings them back to Jerusalem. And gradually, over that time, their doubts are replaced with faith. Their fear is replaced by hope. Their guilt is replaced with love. And armed with this faith, hope, and love, after 40 days, Jesus leaves them for the final part of their preparation. Perhaps the most difficult part, they're to wait. Waiting can be difficult. We actually only waited one minute. It's especially difficult when we don't know how long we're going to have to wait for. It's especially difficult when we're not sure exactly what we're waiting for. The last words of Jesus that he said to his disciples can be found in the previous chapter, Acts Acts chapter 1, verse 4. After his suffering, he, that's Jesus, presented himself to them, that's the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 40 days. Next verse. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he said, and he said this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So they were told to wait in Jerusalem. And since Pentecost is 50 days after Easter and he'd been with them for 40 days, It means that the disciples were left waiting for 10 days. But they didn't know that. They didn't know how long they'd have to wait. And I can imagine the disciples looking to Peter as their leader at that time. And there'd be in conversations like this. So what are we going to do now, Peter? 
We're going to wait. How long for? I don't know. Jesus said a few days. But we've already been waiting eight days. How much longer? I don't know. And what exactly are we waiting for? What did Jesus mean by the Holy Spirit? I don't know. So, while we're waiting, what shall we do while we're waiting? We'll just wait. Why did Jesus make them wait? After all, he didn't have to. If he was preparing them for Pentecost, why would he leave them after 40 days rather than staying with them for the full 50? Imagine a coach preparing his team for the Olympics. He'd be with them right up till the event, keeping them focused, keeping them calm. He wouldn't leave them 10 days earlier saying, well, make your own way to the Olympic Village and just wait there. Why did Jesus make them wait? I guess all of us have had times in our lives when we have to wait. Maybe some of you are waiting for something now. Sometimes I've waited for things that are very specific. Sometimes, like the disciples, I've been less clear what I'm waiting for. Sometimes I've known exactly how long I would have to wait. Other times, like the disciples, I didn't know how long it would take. But waiting can be difficult. So why does God make us wait? Well, it is difficult, but waiting is also very important. And it's because when we're waiting, we are reminded that we are helpless. Most of the time, we like to feel that we're in control of our lives, that we have the gifts and skills and resources to do whatever we want. But waiting reminds us that we don't. Waiting helps us to look to God rather than to ourselves, to do things in God's strength rather than in our own. And waiting prompts us to pray. That was the final preparation that the disciples needed before Pentecost. They needed to feel helpless. And that's a lesson that God repeatedly needs to teach us too. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you can expect there to be long periods of waiting. But now we have two of those elements for the perfect storm. Devout Jews from all over the known world who've come to Jerusalem and a band of helpless disciples waiting in Jerusalem. But one more thing is needed, and that is Peter. Now, I know Peter was one of the disciples who was waiting in Jerusalem, but Peter had a key role in Pentecost, and Jesus had needed to prepare him in a very special way. You may remember three years previously, when Jesus had first met Simon, as he was then called, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he gave Simon a new name. And he had commissioned him. And Jesus said to him, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Well, Pentecost 
was the fulfillment of that promise. And the Gospels describe Peter as being a rather impulsive man who was full of self-confidence. At the Last Supper, Peter had said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison, even to die. And Jesus has said to, to him, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Peter was certain that that would not happen. But he did deny Jesus three times. And after that, he became a broken man. And so, during this time of preparation before Pentecost, Jesus needs to do special work with Peter. And he spends time alone with him, restoring him, recommissioning him for the important role that he must play. I think that's why Jesus told the disciples to go to Galilee. You see, Jesus had risen from the dead and all the disciples were already in Jerusalem. Pentecost would take place 50 days later in Jerusalem. There was no need for the disciples to go anywhere. But in between, Jesus sends them to Galilee and then brings them back. And I think he did that for the sake of Peter, to take him back to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, where he had first met him, to spend alone with him there, asking him, do you really love me? And to recommission him for his important role. I suspect that Peter found the waiting in Jerusalem harder than any of the other disciples. But he'd learned his lesson. He would curb his impulsiveness and he would wait. And so we have it. The stage is set. And in his masterful plan, God has brought together people from the known world. He's prepared a helpless group of disciples and he has prepared Peter. That's everyone God needed for the perfect storm all together in Jerusalem. And so on the day of Pentecost, cue the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongue, other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all, those, all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? And now, cue Peter, Acts chapter 2. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, 
Let me explain to you this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And Peter then preaches the sermon of his life, not in his own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then skipping on to to verse 37, we read, And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord, will, the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And that's how the church was born. And if you look at the map, no doubt some of those 3,000 were residents in Jerusalem. But many of them would have been visitors from the neighboring countries and beyond. And they would have taken this good news of Jesus back home with them. It's a fulfillment of what Jesus had promised 10 days earlier. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's how God worked on the day of Pentecost. And he still works that way today. It's not usually so dramatic, but in quieter ways, God brings people and situations together in his perfect timing. God might have brought you here this morning to hear this sermon because he wants you to repent and to be baptized. If so, just have a word with me or one of the other church leaders after the service. Or you might already be a follower of Jesus, feeling helpless, praying, and waiting for God to do something. And God is saying to you, the time is not quite right. You need to keep waiting. Waiting can be difficult, frustrating, challenging, and testing. But it's the way that God brings about his perfect plan. (coughs) Amen. Let's stand. And as we stand, let's pray that God will send his Holy Spirit to fill us just as he filled those disciples on the day of Pentecost. Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on us this morning.
before the service, someone had a picture of rustling in the leaves, a murmur in the air, and the words, listen, listen carefully for what God is going to do in individual lives and in the life of this church. In his coming, the blowing of the Holy Spirit, will we be ready? This is a preparation time. So open your heart and spirit to the Lord. The band is going to be playing for our next song. But if those words are for you or if you need prayer, would like prayer for anything else, please come to the forward to the front either during this song where someone will pray with you or afterwards uh, there's a further opportunity to pray uh, in the side chapel.